Welcome to the Resilient Mind Podcast. In this episode, you will be listening to The Power of Letting Go with Wayne Dyer. Get access to the Mental Mastery Program and other exclusive episodes by becoming a subscriber. Enjoy. There is an energy in the universe. There is something that is in each and every one of us. And it's also in the universe. And you are connected to it in a way that is often perceived to be... Uh, Oh, aloof from us, because it's invisible, because it's in the world of what we call spirit, the world that is not material. And I would like to suggest that you suspend your disbelief, allow yourself to know that you're not a human being here having a spiritual experience, but that is the other way around, that you're a spiritual being having a human experience. And the quality of your human experience is really much more dependent upon how you use this invisible intelligence and how you connect to this energy. And once you have an awareness that you can never be separate from it, that you and it, and whatever you call it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you call it God, if you call it divine presence, if you call it soul, if you call it spirit, if you call it consciousness, if you call it Christ consciousness, you can call it Buddha consciousness, you can call it Louise, you can call it Edna, you can call it Ralph. Alan Watts once said that you can't get wet from the word water. It isn't the word that allows you to experience water. And whatever it is that you call it is something that is distinct from what it is. When I was walking in here this evening on these beautiful grounds, I saw some people looking at the flowers and the different plants that were growing. And as they were looking at them, there was one person who was obviously an expert, a botanist of some kind, and he was trying to explain to each one of the people what the name was, the technical name for each one of the flowers. And I was watching that and thinking, it doesn't matter what you call it. Can't you enjoy Look at that thing. It's orange, and it just came out of nowhere. There's something very profound about enjoying it and, and being there with it, rather than being obsessed with labeling it. There was a very famous Danish theologian, his name was Soren Kierkegaard. He once said that, once you label me, you negate me. Once you place a label on me and and put me into a compartment or a category of some kind, I must then become what it is that you have labeled me to be. So that we want to be able to live our lives and to practice principles of higher awareness without being so consumed with what I call ordinary human awareness. And ordinary human awareness is just the recognition or the belief system that I am a human being. Maybe I'm having a spiritual experience, I'm not quite sure. But higher human awareness, what is sometimes in the East called Siddhi awareness, in the West it's been called higher consciousness or Christ consciousness. There's many names for it. But when you get beyond just knowing yourself, as this body and this personality and this thing that you inhabit and begin to realize that who you are is that which was never born and can never die when you recognize your eternal self. And that's what this program is really about. It's really about recognizing the power, the energy, the capacity to be able to do what it says in some of the most holy books that you've ever read, that even the least among you can do all that I have done, and even greater things. And that's not just empty words 
from Holy Scriptures. That's a very powerful lesson that each and every one of us can practice and live every day. What I'd like to suggest to you, and what this program is really about, is that there are higher levels of awareness that are available to us. A level of awareness that allows us to do things like, and it may sound a bit strange, but to manage the coincidences of our lives. To be able to place our attention on what it is that we would like to create for ourselves in our lives. To literally have the power to know that if I think about it, and I keep it there, and I keep that picture firm within me, that there is an energy, a source, a capacity within me that is in the universe and that is also in me, and that I can use this energy, that I can manage it. There are many ways to get the things that we want for ourselves in our lives, but basically it all begins with how we choose to think. As you think, so shall you be. Seven little words that I think are perhaps the most important things that we can learn and master in our lives. This old proverb notion that I become what I think about all day long. And once you know that what you think about is what expands, you start getting real careful about what you think about. You don't allow your thoughts to be on anything that you don't want or that you wouldn't want to have manifest or show up for you in your life. Emerson said, the ancestor to every action is a thought. And you can look at every spiritual tradition, whether it's Eastern or Western, whether it's ancient or modern, whether it's civilized, quote, or uncivilized, quote, whether it's tribal. And there is, in all of these persuasions, this idea that inside each and every one of us, in a place that is not material, in a place that has no dimensions, in a place that has no boundaries, that in each and every one of us, we have this power and we have this intelligence. And you can never see it. I've often said that when you die, if you're going to die and five minutes before you're ready to leave, they weigh your body. And let's say it weighs, oh, let's pick a good number, 150 pounds. All right? <laughs> and then life leaves your body. And they weigh your body instantly after you're dead. And it still weighs 150 pounds. So that your body weighs the same, alive or dead, before it begins to deteriorate. And if that's the case, then your life, this thing that leaves your body and your body still weighs the same, is weightless. Your life is weightless. You can't put a dimension on it. You can't put a measure on it. Who you are is that life. And that life is not in the dimension of material. It's like, if I want to wiggle my finger, I just have to have a thought. And the thought says, I think I'm going to wiggle my finger. And then I do this, and you say, well, that's really no big deal. But it really is a big deal. <laughs> because there's something invisible in here that says, I'm going to wiggle my finger. I've never seen that. I've never been able to, you can, you can put that under an x-ray, you can try to measure that and find out what it is in there that allows you to say, I'm going to wiggle my finger, and you can never find it. It's not in this world, if you will. So I can do all the scientific studies, 
And what I can do when I do these scientific studies is I can find the command center inside of me that a lot, and I can go to the brain and I can point to a specific point, and scientists can do this and say, there's the command center which allows you to have a thought, I think I'm going to wiggle my finger. But there's no computer and there's no scientists and there's no technology that can ever allow us to go inside and say, there's the commander in the command center. Can't find it. And that commander in the command center, that weightlessness, is the part of us that we just don't pay enough attention to. And what I'd like to suggest here this evening is that once you start becoming aware of the power of thought, and if you look around, just look around you at everything that you see, it all began with a thought. We become what we think about. And that is probably one of the most important principles in learning to manifest. But in my mind, as I think about this idea of getting what you really want and being able to attract it into your life, what we have to look at is basically the obstacles that we have conditioned ourselves. And you notice I say that we have conditioned ourselves because I have never believed that we need to be putting the responsibility on someone else. If you're conditioned, it's because you have allowed yourself to become that. And if we are conditioned, if we conditioned ourselves to believe certain kinds of things, and one of the things that we kind of believe and hang on to and, and live with is this whole idea that uh, all of the things that happened to me in my past are what are keeping me from doing what I'd like to do today. So we hang on to these things and we fill ourselves with blame. We say, I'm the middle child. I'm the youngest child. I'm the oldest child. I'm an only child. Any one of those is a great excuse. You know, if you're the youngest child, you can say, well, you know, I never, how could I be making decisions for myself and be a fully, fully, a fully functioning person today when I always had somebody else telling me what to do my whole life? How could I think for myself? If you're the oldest child, you can simply say to yourself, well, how could I be expected to think for myself? I always had to think for somebody else. I was always doing it for somebody else. And that leaves the middle child, you know, the classic identity crisis. Oh, poor me. My mother didn't even know my name. <laughs> She's always calling me by this one's name or that one's name. So I don't know where I fit in. So that takes care of everybody except the only child. And, of course, the only child, your parents looked at you and said, we won't be doing that again. <laughs> huh? You have to live with that. I don't. Huh? So everybody, with their birth order, or with their mother like their sister better, or that we had enough, or we didn't have enough, or we had too much, or we lived in the north, we lived in the south, I'm too tall, I'm too short, I've got too much hair, I don't have enough hair, <laughs> it's falling out, it's not falling out, whatever it is, we all have these excuses. And I call all of these things that we hang on to and use to keep ourselves from reaching these higher places in our lives, the wake. I call it the wake. And the wake is uh, comes from a story that I heard Alan Watts tell one time, and it was a very powerful story. He said, your life is like a boat, and it's heading up the river at, say, 40 knots. And as it's going, you are somehow able to metaphorically stand on the stern, the back of the boat, and look down into the water. Now, there goes your life in this direction, and you're standing here, and you're looking down into the water. And you ask yourself these three questions. The first question, what is the wake? What is it? What is this thing that you see? And the answer, the wake 
is the trail that is left behind. That's what it is. Nothing more, nothing less. It's the trail that is left behind. Second question to ask yourself in this little metaphor, what's driving the boat? What's making this thing go in this direction? The answer, the present moment energy that's being generated by the engine. And nothing more. That's the only thing that's making the boat go in this direction. And in this little scene, this means it's the present moment thoughts that I have and how I am using them that is making my life go in this direction and nothing more. Because the third question is the most important and powerful question. And I've ever, ever since I heard it, I've always thought about this whenever I have a tendency to look back here and blame something. Is it possible for the wake to drive the boat? That is, can a trail that is left behind make a boat go in this direction? And of course, the answer to that is no. It can't. It's just a trail that is left behind. And in that trail, there are an enormous number of things, and every one of us has a wake. And we have a whole lot of stuff in it. And one of the problems that we have is that we have a tendency to look at the wake and all of the stuff that's in it to explain why it is my life isn't working the way I would like it to work. So that um, you can take a look at the experiences of your life. I look at the experiences of my life. In the experiences of my life, I spent some years in a, a series of foster homes. People have said to me, oh, living in a foster home, that must have been terrible. I said, no, it wasn't terrible at all. When you're six years old, you don't wake up every day and say, oh my God, I'm living in a foster home, isn't this awful? Poor me, how come me and nobody else? You don't do that. You don't do that till you're 40. And when you're 40 and your life isn't working and you're bankrupt and you're a drug addict and, and, uh, and you're falling, your relationships are all falling apart and your family's leaving you and you say, why is this happening to you? You say, what do you expect from me? I had to live in a foster home. My mother liked my sister better. We were to this, we were to... And so it's like we take a look at all of these things in our wake. And I'm not saying here that you shouldn't be in touch with your past, and all of the things that are back there. But to use it as excuses for why you can't get where you'd like to get today is something that you, if you do that, you will never get to this place that I'm talking about in this program, which is this place that I call higher awareness, way beyond ordinary human awareness. One of the most powerful lessons that you can ever learn, I had to learn as a young man. My own father was a man who uh, walked away. He left. He left home when I was just a baby. Left my mother and with three little boys. And all I had ever heard when he walked out about this person that my older brothers told me about and that uh, when my mother got her family back together again when I was nine years old and, and did all that she could to uh, make a family again, with all the hardships. This is a man who never made a phone call, who never sent a penny, who spent some time in prison who was an alcoholic, who died of cirrhosis of the liver at the age of 49 and was buried in a pauper's grave in Biloxi, Mississippi. And it wasn't until I went to his grave and I was able to stand there, and I used to dream about this man and have this enormous hatred for this person whom I had never seen, just based upon what he had done 
to my own mother and to my brothers and so on, and all of the stories that I had heard and all the research that I had done. And I ended up at his grave ten years after he had died when I finally found out that he was dead. It was on the 27th of August. It was 1974. And what I did transformed my life. What I did is I believe I was sent there by God, or whatever you want to call that divine spirit, that divine presence. And my life at that time wasn't working. I was overweight. My relationships weren't working. My writing wasn't working. There were a lot of things that weren't going well for me in my life at that time. Not badly, but they weren't going at the level that I knew I was capable of getting to. Because I was filled with this hatred, this anger, this bitterness. And so what I did is I stood there on his grave, on this little marker in the ground, and I said, from now on I send you love. I forgive you. Mark Twain said that forgiveness is the fragrance that the violet sheds on the heel that has crushed it. And once I let go of that anger and that hatred and all of my attachment to the bonding that I had done with these wounds and let go of that and cleared that out of my life, my writing began to take place at a much higher level. In fact, I wrote erroneous zones in very, very short time after that. I began to get myself back in shape. I began to eat better. I began exercising, keeping my, uh, got my weight down. And the people that were supposed to come into my life, like my beautiful wife, who sits here with me this evening, all of it was allowed to flow when I released that, that energy of negativity and blame and hatred. They say that you never die from a snake bite. It isn't the bite. And you can't be unbitten. It's in the wake. What kills you is the venom that continues to pour through you long after the bite has taken place. And that's something we have control over and we can change. And I'd like to suggest that what happens is that many of us bond ourselves to these wounds of our past. If I were to cut my hand, just cut it and watch it, my nature says, close up the wound. And I just have to watch it. And there's no doctor out there. There's no medicine out there that's going to heal that wound. There's something. There's a healing stream that I am connected to that will allow that wound to heal. So my nature says, close up the wounds. Don't bond to them. Don't hang on to them. Close them up. But supposing I say to myself, oh, no, you don't. There's no way I'm going to let you close up. You see, if I can keep you open and I can go to you and say, look at this. Say, what happened? Well, look at this cut I've got. Oh, you poor thing. Look at that. It seems to be getting worse. It's getting infected. Isn't that terrible? And if you practice this kind of a mentality, when your nature says close up the wound, but you keep it open, before long you lose your hand. And after that, you'll lose your arm. And the whole organism will be destroyed if you don't let your nature take over. And your nature also says close up the wounds of your past. Close them up. And oftentimes we ignore our nature. I had a great teacher that came into my life through his writing. His name was Nisargadatta Maharaj. Lived in India up until the mid-1980s. And he wrote something called I Am That, which was very powerful and influential in my life. And one of the things that he talked about when he was asked the question, what's the difference between, say, a saint or a highly functioning human being, a spiritual master, a spiritual teacher, and the rest of us, is that they have unconditional love in them 
and you don't or we don't? And he said, no. He said, saints have unconditional love in them and so do you. He said, the difference between ordinary human awareness and higher awareness people is that they have nothing else inside of them. That's all they have. And it's almost like we have to learn how to get that in ourselves. To be able to, well, I always like to use the metaphor of an orange. I love the orange. An orange is a simple metaphor. You take this orange and you squeeze it as hard as you can squeeze it. And you ask yourself, what will come out? And what comes out when you squeeze an orange? Orange juice. Never, no matter how many times you squeeze it, will apple juice come out. There's no mistakes. You'll never get grapefruit juice out of this thing, ever. The only thing you'll ever get out of it is orange juice. And the next question is, why? Why, when you squeeze an orange, as hard as you can squeeze it, does orange juice come out? And I asked that question up in Toronto one time, and this little girl sitting right in the front row, she said, that's dumb. <laughs> it's a, it, she said, that's what's inside. It has to come out. I said, well, that's the answer. <laughs> you are really smart. And she smiled and she thought that was great. But that's the truth. The reason that orange juice comes out when you squeeze it is because that's what's inside. Now you extend the metaphor and someone squeezes you. That is, someone says something about you that you don't like. Someone behaves towards you in a way that you find offensive. Somebody does something or says something to you that you feel hurt by. And out of you comes anger, hatred, bitterness, tension, Fear, anxiety, stress. And immediately you say, the reason that comes out of me is because of how he said it, or the way that she said that, or because they did that. But the truth is, the reality is, that what comes out is what's inside. And if you don't like what's inside, you can change it. Now, if you ask me, how does orange juice get inside of an orange, I would say, I don't know. I can't figure it out. That's a mystery to me. I just enjoy the oranges of my life and give God the credit for that. Thank you for tuning into this episode. Continue strengthening your mind by listening to our other episodes.